The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. The handle unmarked. But the gun has killed and the man has killed. People call them both the six-shooter. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. And that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another Western Wednesday. Today we have Six Shooter and Gunsmoke for you on the Six Shooter. It's a Duel at Lockwood, starring Howard McNear as one of the guest stars. And I really think you'll enjoy that episode. So we're starting up with that episode. Uh, Howard McNear, of course, plays Doc on Gunsmoke, and so it's neat when he can appear on the Six Shooter as well. We also have Gunsmoke, and Gunsmoke is written by Les Crutchfield this week. It's his third episode in a row that he's written. He's the only writer at this point who's written three shows in a row, and this one's called The Mortgage. A really good episode as well. Also, I thought I'd mention that we are starting our fall fundraiser. If you can uh, help donate to the podcast, that would be great. Now that we have two podcasts going with our Judy Garland podcast, um, Judy Garland and Friends OTR podcast as well. Uh, it's it's costs more money to keep them both running. So if if you can help out, that's fantastic. At each level, there's different rewards. Well, you can do one-time donation. You can do. Most people seem to like to do a subscription. Uh, subscriptions are anywhere from a dollar to six dollars or so a month. And at the different levels, you get a different amount of access to some of our archives, which a lot of people like. Anyway, you can just come to buckbenny.com and look through um, over on your right-hand side will be all the donation stuff. You can do that. Uh, Patreon does a really good job. At the Patreon, you you can donate at the $1 level if you want. Uh, so it's $1 a month, which would be fantastic. Um, uh, with PayPal, you can donate at the $2, $3, $4, whatever level you want and just take a look and see what you're comfortable with. So um, if you want to donate with uh, check or money order, just email me at buckbennyotr at gmail.com and uh, I will send you my address and things and you can support us that way. Thank you for all the people that do support us. There's a lot of people that support the podcast and keep it going, but we could use more. Um, Especially, like I say, with the two podcasts going. Oh, and also it's Halloween and we're running a lot more Halloween shows, type shows, with a lot of more with Orson Welles, um, Dracula, and War of the Worlds, and so forth, over on our Judy Garland site. So you might want to make sure you go over there and take a look at what episodes are available over there. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into Jimmy Stewart as the Six Shooter, followed by Gunsmoke. the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle, unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. 
James Stewart as The Six Shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. I'm looking for Wes, Miss Singer. You know where I can find him? Lockwood, maybe. No, ma'am. He ain't in town this morning. I just come from there. The jail in Lockwood. That's where he might be. Now, Miss Singer, Wes ain't in jail no more. That's all over now. All over? Sure. And nobody's apt to try arresting him again, either. They'll arrest him again, Jim, someday. Don't make no mistake about that. They'll arrest him or they'll kill him. We all gotta go sooner or later, Granny. Oh, Wes, but I... if I was as close to my time as you are to yours, I wouldn't be talking about killing and dying so much. Your time's closer than you think, Wes. Maybe even closer than mine. Doggone it, Wes. She told me you wasn't even to home. Ah, Granny's getting cantankerous in her old age, that's all. Well, what do you want? Uh, nothing special. Nothing special. I, uh, just thought maybe you'd like to know Britt Ponsett's in Lockwood. Ponsett? Y yeah. He's staying at the hotel. Well, why didn't you say so before? Well, what's the difference? You wasn't serious the other day. Why, Wes, you couldn't have been. He's the six shooter. You'll find out whether I was serious or not. I'll be in Lockwood at four o'clock this afternoon. M maybe, maybe Ponsett will be gone He now. won't leave. Not if he hears I'm coming in to pay him a visit. You mean, you want folks to know what you're aiming to do? Sure, why not? Well, Sheriff Hittleman ain't gonna like the idea. Well, he made that plain enough last week. You think I'd let Ben Hittleman get in my way? <laughs> well, I'll grant you it wouldn't mean much, killing an old geezer who should have been put out to pasture ten years ago. Wes, you But can't... if he asks for it, I reckon I'll have to oblige him. Now, go on, spread the word. We ought to draw a good-sized crowd, this six-shooter and me. Well, as soon as we'd finished fencing in the last couple of thousand acres on the tip-top ranch, old man Jeffers sent me into Lockwood to get some signs printed up. He wanted everybody to know that he owned the biggest spread in this part of the state, and he figured posting these signs every quarter of a mile or so would do the trick. Of course, the wording had to be just right. He wrote it all down so I wouldn't forget it. Tip-top ranch, property of Rex Jeffers, keep out. This means you. Trespassers will be shot at sight. If you ain't able to read this notice, keep out anyway. Rex Jeffers means what he says. Signed, Rex Jeffers. <laughs> uh, it's Thursday night when I got into town and the office of the Lockwood Claren was closed, but first thing Friday morning, I headed over to give Pete Drum the order. Pete, Pete was the owner of the Claren. Hey, what in thunder is Rex thinking of, Britt? Folks all know where the tip-top starts in and where it leaves off. Besides, I thought he had a fence around it now. He has, he has, but I guess maybe Rex feels that ain't enough. Oh, 2,000 posters, just so he can see his name in print. 
All right, all right, I'll do them. But it'll cost him $15. That's my price. $15? Can't be done for a cent less. Paper's mm. expensive, Britt. Well, uh, how soon do you figure you can get at it, Pete? Oh, oh, I don't know. I've got me a few more of these auction handbills are in all. Then I suppose I can shift over to your order. Yeah, well, it's a good thing you're coming to town today. Right? Oh? Monday, I start getting ready for next week's paper. That ties me up clear into Thursday morning. And the way things have been happening around here lately... Well, well what do you mean, Payne? Now, don't tell me that you ain't heard. No, no, can't say I have. Well, sir, Lockwood's got a brand new gunfighter. Oh, gunfighter? Just a kid, but he's faster than grease lightning. The first thing you know, Wes Singer will be just about as well-known as Sam Bass or Bill Longley or any of the rest of them dead eyes. Mm-hmm. Wes Singer? Uh-huh. Two killings in less than a month. That's what he's got to his credit so far. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Barker. He was the first. Wyatt and Wes got into some kind of a mix-up over to Charlie Jensen's place. Well, sir, Wes beat him to the draw and pumped four shots into Wyatt's body before it even hit the floor. You don't say. And hey. afterwards... He just stood around there and he waited for Sheriff Hiddleman to take him in for questioning. Why, he acted like he, he didn't have a worry in the world. <laughs> and as things worked out, he was right. There was nothing the sheriff could charge him with, seeing as how Wyatt was already drawing his gun when Wes cut loose. Uh-huh. Oh, I guess that's enough of them handbills now. Yeah, yeah. Now, what happened to that paper you gave me, Brett? Oh, that? Well, you know the wording on it for your post? Oh, 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 here it is. Right here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, let's see. Uh, I suppose Rex Jeffers wants his name in the biggest type I've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reckon he'd he like to have it stand out good and plain. Oh, yes, he would. Well, well, I guess this will have to do. It was big enough for Lincoln's assassination. It ought to be big enough for Rex. Anyhow, like I was saying, folks just didn't know what to make of West Singer and the way he'd killed Wyatt Barker. They wasn't sure whether it was one of those times when a young fella just sort of flies off the handle and then settles down again afterwards. Or if Wes would take up gunslinging for a whole career. And about ten days later, they found out. Uh Uh-huh. It was on a Wednesday when he come riding down Main Street again. And we was all kind of curious to see how he'd behave. So uh, some of us sort of moseyed over to Charlie Johnson's place when he went inside. And we'd no more than got there... Before he was in a mix-up with Todd Apple. That's so. Britt, I tell you, if I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. Wes outdrew Todd by almost a full second. Now, you've got to give the devil his due. Wes Singer is a fast man with a six-shooter. And I ought to know, I've seen the best. I've seen that gun of yours in action, Britt. Well, that was some time ago. Oh, you're still walking around on your hind legs? <laughs> That's a pretty good sign you ain't completely out of practice. Well, what about the sheriff? Didn't he arrest young Singer after the second shooting? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. He arrested him. Take a look at last week's clarion. Let's see. Oh, it's right there on the counter behind you there. Hmm? Oh. Oh, is it Wes Singer acquitted? Jury finds Todd Apple killing was self-defense. Huh. Well, I guess they had to rule it that way since both men was armed, but Sheriff Hiddleman, he sure didn't like it. He told Wes the next time he come into town stirring up trouble... He wouldn't be alive for no trial afterwards. Well, Ben Hiddleman's a man of his word, Singer ought to know that. Sheriff ain't as young as he used to be, Brit. And he's slowed down some these last few years. He slowed down a lot. Well, you take last winter when he went after Jake Gordon. If Jake's gun hadn't a jammed, Ben wouldn't be here now. And believe me, Jake couldn't hold a candle to young Singer. Oh, no. Not a candle. Doggone it. What happened to that other cave? 
I was sure I had two of them. Yeah, you're speaking of the sheriff, yeah, you know, I think maybe I'll wander over and see how he's getting along. His office still around the corner? Yeah, here? same place as always. I'll drop back and see you later. Please. Okay, Britt. But you take it easy. Well, Lockwood never had been what you might call a real peaceful town. They'd had their share of gunfighters and shootings, no doubt about that. But Ben Hellman, he'd managed to keep things pretty well under control, so I figured he'd find some way of handling this West Singer. As I turned the corner, I got a little glimpse of Ben through the side window of his office. He was putting on his hat and getting ready to go out somewhere. Uh, George Pete was right. Ben had age. Even more than I expected. He was carrying some extra weight around his middle, too. Maybe that's what made him look shorter than I remembered him. His mustache had turned to kind of a brownish gray. Well, I opened the door and stepped inside. For a minute or so, Ben didn't say anything. He just sort of stared at me, frowning. And then he sighed and took off his Stetson. Hello, Britt. Hi, Ben. I heard you was in town. I was just going to start looking for you. Oh, well, I guess I saved you the trouble, huh? Yeah. How long you figured on staying in Lockwood, Britt? Well, the rest of the day, maybe part of tomorrow. Depends on how fast Pete Drum finishes up some printing he's doing for me. What's the matter? You actually get rid of me? <laughs> no, no, no. If you was to run off now, that'd turn him into a holy terror for certain. You'd say you left because you was scared of him. You know, holding him back after that. Well, now, just what the Sam Hill are you talking about, Ben? You ever hear of a fellow called Wes Singer? Lives out east of town? Yeah, yeah. Pete was just telling me about him. Well, it seems he's spoiling for a gunfight with you. With, with me? Yes. Why, well, I never laid eyes on the man in my life. Well, he knows you, at least by reputation. Oh, huh. He got to shooting off his mouth the other day, telling some of his pals how he could out-trigger any man in the state. One of the boys who was listening brung up your name, said he'd bet you could teach Wes a few things about slapping leather. I see. Of course, Wes had to back up his bragging. He told him if he was ever to come around Lockwood, he'd show him who was the best shot. He'd show everybody. Oh, well, I imagine I just so much talk. At the time, maybe. But you're in town now. And if Wes don't do something about it, well, he ain't gonna look like much. Besides, you're kind of a tempting target, Britt. Hmm? Well, what are you talking about, Ben? What... You're the six-shooter, aren't you? Any young gunfighter who put a bullet into you, well, that'd give him a real claim to fame. Oh, well, it's crazy, Ben. He doesn't have any cause to pick a fight with me. They're all crazy, Britt. Gunslingers like Wes. The idea of getting killed themselves, it, it don't even enter their heads. If it did, they wouldn't be gunslingers. Well, you better get over to the hotel. Hmm? The word is Singer will get to town around 4 o'clock. I want you out of the way until I've finished with him. Until you finish with him? I warned him the next time he come into Lockwood on the prod, he'd have to answer to me. Oh. You, uh... You gonna shoot it out with him? If I have to. You're... You sure you can handle him, Ben? Of course I can ha- uh, No, Britt. No, I ain't sure. He's young. He's awful fast. Yeah, yeah, that's what Pete said. But I gotta try. If it turns out that I ain't still man enough, well, I always knew that sooner or later one of them would come along who was younger and faster. Now, listen, Ben, you, you know, he's gunning for me, not you. 
that ain't the point, Britt. I'm the one who laid down the law. Told him what I'd do if he ever tried to pull off another shooting spree. Sure, sure, I know. So it's my job to stop him. Oh, you might be a better match for Wes. I don't deny that. And if he should get past me, not that he will, you understand. But if he should, well then... Yeah? But I just couldn't step back and let you take him on first. Why, the folks would never pay no heed to me afterward. They'd... They'd say I'd talk big to West, but it was your gun he'd listen to. You see my point, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I see your point, Ben. The Sick Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett. You sure couldn't blame Ben for feeling the way he did. He was the sheriff, and if Wes Singer came in Lockwood bound and determined to have another gunfight, well, Ben would just have to take a stand, that's all. And I sure didn't like the idea. A young fella I'd never even met up with was gunning for me, and somebody else was going to try to hold him off. No, that's just... Didn't... Not that I was anxious to get mixed up with him or anything, but I just... Well... Anyway, as long as Ben had made up his mind, there wasn't much I could do about it one way or the other, at least for the time being. So I, I moseyed over to the hotel. And the clerk stopped me as I was passing the desk. He pointed to a woman sitting on the other end of the lobby. He said she'd been waiting for me to come in. Elderly lady, white hair, wrinkled yellow face with a blue straw bonnet tied under her chin. <clears throat> Uh, ma'am, uh... Yes? Uh, my name's Ponsett, ma'am. Britt Ponsett. And... Oh. Would you... Would you mind sitting down here, Mr. Ponsett? Sure, sure. It's, um... It's about Wes. Oh, yes, yes. Wes Singer, that is. I'm his grandma. I see, uh-huh. You know what he aims to do this afternoon, Mr. Ponsett? Well, I'd heard some talk about it, yes, ma'am. It ain't just talk. He means it. He means to kill you. No, no, don't get too upset about him, Miss Singer. There's probably won't be any trouble between me and Wes. Uh, what do you mean? Well, uh, Sheriff Heddleman will be waiting for him, and uh, if Wes starts anything, he'll more and more likely land in jail. There ain't no jail could hold him anymore. And Ben Hittleman won't be able to arrest him again, neither. He'll shoot Ben without batting an eye. Well, uh, I'm afraid I don't understand you, Miss Singer. I figured you were worried about Wes. I, I thought that's why you wanted to talk to me. Worried about him? Well, I'm worried about all the men he's going to murder if somebody don't stop him. Men like Wyatt Barker and Todd Apple. Ben Hittleman, he'll be next. Uh-huh. Well, uh, just what is it you want from me, Mrs. Singer? 
I want you to kill Wes. I want you to shoot him down like you'd shoot down a mad dog. You're the sick shooter. You're the only one who'd have a chance against him. Well, now, Sheriff Hittleman's the law in this town, Miss Singer. It ain't up to me. Law? Me. What kind of law is it that turned Wes loose after his other killings? He ain't fit to live, Mr. Ponsett. Maybe it's my fault he turned out the way he did. Maybe if his ma and pa had been here to raise him. But they wasn't. I'd done my best. Of course you did, Miss Singer. Of course. He couldn't have been born mean. The meanness wasn't in his blood. I don't know how it got into him. Uh-huh. Well, sometimes it's pretty hard to explain a thing like that. There's only know. one way he can end up. He'll be killed sooner or later. I'd even thought about doing it myself. Maybe it's my duty. No, no, you shouldn't be talking like this, man. You've you... got to kill him, Mr. Ponsett. Today, this afternoon, before anybody else's blood is on his hands. Uh, well, now, I understand how you feel, Miss Singer, but my trying to kill Wes wouldn't... It just... I, I just don't see how that'd be the answer. Then what is the answer? I racked my brain. I asked God's help done everything I could think of. What is the answer? Well, I... I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm afraid I just don't know. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon when Mrs. Singer left the hotel. I watched her get into her buggy and drive off. She sat there stiff and tall, her eyes straight ahead, not looking one way or the other. And I waited until she dwindled down to just a little speck, and then I walked outside. There was a kind of a stillness in the air, like on a hot summer day just before a thunderstorm. The town was practically deserted. Nobody was in the stores, nobody on the street. Nobody but Ben Hillman. Britt, I told you to keep out of sight. Yeah, yeah, I know, Ben. Young, you get back in the hotel before it's too late. I'm, uh, I'm not waiting in the hotel, Ben. What? Now, I made up my mind. I've decided to take a little ride this afternoon. A ride? What are you talking about? Well, I thought maybe I'd head over that way, toward those hills over there. And run right into West Singer? Well, I suppose we might meet up if he's coming in that direction. You know darn well he's coming from that direction. I told you he lives east of town. Uh, not of the think of it. I guess you did, yeah. Well, well, I'll be saying you... Now you listen to me, Britt. Now, I, I have listened to you, and I see your point, Ben. If there's a gunfight here in Lockwood, or if it looks like there's going to be one, well, it's up to you to do something about it. Well, ain't that what I've been telling you? Sure, yeah. But on the other hand... Whatever happens outside of town, beyond the city limits, that is, well, I don't see that that's any of your business. Officially, no, but... Well, well... Britt, I won't let you do it. I know what'll happen between you and Singer. If you do get the draw on him, you'll hold off. You won't kill him. But if he gets the draw on you... So long, Ben. Britt! Britt! I didn't ride very far, just a couple of miles. And I reined up near a clump of spruce. Whoa, boy. Whoa, whoa, Scar. Uh, 
car wandered around nibbling at some tufts of dried up grass. I settled down in the shade to wait. About ten minutes later, I saw him coming toward me. Not hurrying, just plodding along, slow, easy-like. Of course, I couldn't be sure that this was young Singer, but it seemed more likely that it was him. And when he got close enough so I could see his face, well, there wasn't much doubt about it. He was young, all right. Appeared to be younger than his years, just a kid. Not a bad-looking boy, either. But there was something about his eyes and the way they kept darting from side to side like an animal on the prowl. Well, when he saw me, he reined up and slid out of the saddle. Howdy. You right out here from Lockwood, mister? That's right. I hear Britt Ponsett's in town. Is that a fact? He was in town. Was? <laughs> I might have known he'd run out on me. You got any idea which way he headed? Yeah. I'm Britt Ponsett. What? That's right. There's something I can do for you? For a second, his eyes stopped moving and just stood there as if he didn't quite know what to do. But it didn't take him long to make up his mind. His right hand whipped down toward his holster so fast that it was all I could do to get hold of the shotgun before he finished his draw. And even then, it looked like he might just go ahead and squeeze the trigger, but he managed to hold himself back. We weren't more than about eight feet apart, staring at each other. His revolver aimed right at my face, and the shotgun I'd borrowed from Pete Drum pointing straight at his belly. What are you trying to pull, mister? How's that? That, that shotgun. What's the matter with your six-shooter? Nothing. Nothing at all. All right, go ahead. You've been telling everybody around town you're going to kill me. All right, go ahead. You couldn't miss me. Go on, you couldn't miss me, not at this range. Sure, sure, but, but... But but I'd still be able to let go with a blast, too, you know. Is that what you're worried about, Wes? And I guess it'd tear a pretty big hole through you. I ain't afraid. You think I'm a coward, don't you? I'll tell you one thing, I think. You know, you never faced up to the fact that you might get killed in one of these gunfights of yours. As long as you got off the first shot, you figured the worst the other fellow could do was just to nick you, if he was lucky. All right. Now, you can get off the first shot now. But if you do, I don't need to be able to aim this shotgun. I just couldn't help hitting you. You're, you're loco, Ponson. We, we'd both be dead. Yeah. Well? You, you can't expect a man to... To commit suicide. All right, I'm waiting, Singer. You know there's no way to... You know I don't dare... That's right. But what do you expect me to do? I expect you to put your gun away and get out of here. And you'd better not come into Lockwood again looking for trouble, because this isn't the only shotgun in town. <laughs> After a minute or so, he turned and he climbed on his horse. And I... 
I, I don't know for sure what happened to him after that. I heard that he moved on farther west and finally got into a gunfight with somebody who outgrew him. I guess it was bound to happen, of course. I just don't understand what gets into a fellow like him. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. You know, Chester, a morning like this makes a man glad to be alive. Oh, it's a fine one, all right, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. A little nippy, maybe, but just fine. Indian summer hanging on and winter holding off. You know, Chester, this time of year, I wouldn't trade western Kansas for everything east of the Mississippi. Oh, good. Pedro's got a fire going. I built the fire, Marshal Dillon. Oh, good morning, Caleb. I'm waiting in this jail office for a full two hours. What time do you start work, Marshal? You know Caleb Andrews, don't you, Chester? Oh, yes, indeed. Hi, Mr. Andrews. Marshal, I have an order here from the U.S. District Court. I believe it's your job to serve such orders. Yeah, it is. I don't get them often, though. Yeah. Order of foreclosure and eviction on Ed Blake. Why are you doing this to Ed, Caleb? The man borrowed money from me. Gave me a mortgage on his farm and household effects. He can't pay it. Why do you think I'm doing it? Only came due three days ago. You sure didn't waste any time. I'm not interested in your opinions, Marshal Dillon. Yeah, amount of the mortgage. $420. What do you need with $420? You own half of Ford County now. Marshal, it's not your place. You know as well as I do why Ed Blake can't pay this off. His horse rolled on him last spring and broke his leg. And his wife and kid nearly broke their backs trying to get a crop up. I didn't come here to listen if to you. If you let this ride on through the winter, you'll get your money out of it. But if you go ahead and foreclose now, you'll wipe him out. Marshal, I already have foreclosed. You'd break a man for $420 you don't even need, huh? As I said, your opinions don't interest me. All I expect from you is to serve these papers. All right, I'll serve them. You'll notice they're to be served today. I said I'd serve them. Now get out. What? This office belongs to the United States government, and as far as I know, that's one thing you got no mortgage on, so get out. You may find I have some influence in Washington, Marshal Dillon. Then see if you can get me a decent salary for this rotten job of mine. It sure was a fine morning, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, it was. 
All right, Chester, let's saddle up. This is one job I surely wish we didn't have to do, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. My, this sure is a nice farm. Ed and Martha have put in a lot of work here the last four years. We don't have any choice, Chester. Yes, sir, I know. It's a downright shame, though. Hey, Marshal! Oh, boy. Well, hi, Jimmy. Look at here what I got, Marshal. Well, looks to me like a mighty dead coyote. Sure, that's what it is. <laughs> He's been killing my chickens, so last night I hid off behind the barn. Yeah? I got him with one shot, Mr. Dillon, and there wasn't even a full moon. Well, that's fine, Jimmy. Matt Dillon, how are you? Oh, uh, good morning, Martha. And Chester, too. Miss Blake? Well, I'm glad to see you. Get down, come on in. Oh, thank you. Jimmy... <laughs> Now that you showed that thing to Mr. Dillon, take it away somewhere. All right, Mom. <laughs> he sure is a big one, ain't he, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, about the biggest I ever saw, Jimmy. <laughs> He's real proud of those chickens of his. He's done fine with them. Well, here I am, though, keeping you standing out here in the yard. Come on, let's go inside. Well, uh, we really can't stay, Martha. Oh, nonsense. You don't get out here once in a goon's age. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you see... And seem... you're just in time. Your favorite dish, Matt. I was about to take it out of the oven when you rode up. Cornbread. Buttermilk cornbread, huh? That's right. Ed's not here, but you will stay, won't you? Well, Martha, I'd like to, but, well, we just can't, that's all. The thing is that, uh, uh, you say Ed's away? Yes, he's in town. Ned, you're not yourself. What is it? Well, I suppose I ought to talk to Ed about this, but maybe it'll be better if he hears it from you. Here's what. Martha, I, I got a court order here. It has to do with that mortgage of Caleb Andrews. It's a order of foreclosure and eviction and sale. No. Oh, no. Here it is. We were so sure he'd extend it. He knows what happened and why we couldn't pay it. We were sure he'd extend it. Well, he won't. I talked to him. Matt, uh... How long before we have to get out? Five days. So soon. You were right, Matt. It, it is better that Ed hears it from me. Coming on top of everything else, it'll... Well, I, I can't let it break him. I, I just can't let it break him. Martha, if there's anything I can do, you you let me know, huh? Matt, I, I don't blame you for this. I understand. Well, come on in now and... Have some cornbread with well, us. Well, I, I, I couldn't. I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you anyway, Martha. But I, well, I just couldn't. Matt, you look low all week. Oh, it's just thanks in general, Kitty. Sometimes you get to wondering if it's all worth it or not. The Blakes, huh? Huh? Chester was telling me. Ah, Chester talks too much. It's not your fault, Matt. Somebody had to serve the order. Somebody has to be hangman, too. <laughs> Life's never all good, Matt. There's always a little bad in it. And well, my job is more than a little. 
try making your living sometime as a dance hall girl. Yeah, I guess. But when you gotta go out and boot somebody like the Blakes off their land and out of their home, then you start wondering what's right and what's wrong, and so... Well, if you find out, Matt, let me know. I've always... Oh, oh there you are, Marshal. I stopped by the jail. Well, all right, Caleb. What's on your mind? Uh, that Blake family, Marshal, they were supposed to vacate today. Well, they haven't done it. I rode by there a little while ago. According to the court order, they got until sundown. But they haven't made the slightest preparation to... <coughs> Marshal, I believe I'd prefer to discuss our business elsewhere than in the presence of this, uh, this... Easy, Caleb. Matt, uh, I'll go. Caleb, you're gonna apologize to Miss Kitty right now. No. Apologize? <laughs> if you think I'm going to apologize to this cheap little baggage who's in the... <coughs> Matt, you shouldn't have done that. Fennigan, take him outside and throw some water on him. Yes, sir, Marshal. Why not, Kitty? He had it coming to him. He'll do everything he can to hurt you now. He'll take it out on the Blakes, too. Yeah, maybe. Look, Kitty, I I just got an idea. Uh, I'll see you later. All right, Matt. The mere fact a man runs a bank doesn't always mean he's got a free hand in everything he does. A bank has stockholders, a board of directors. I've got to listen to them. I think they'd approve the loan, Clem. Another thing, Caleb Andrews is the biggest account I've got. If I crossed him by taking this loan you suggest, Matt, he'd break me. I see. All right, Clem, forget it. Matt, I, I realize I'm under obligation to you. You saved my life that time the James brothers held me up. Saved the bank, too, in fact. But that was part of my job, Clem. There's no obligation. I, I was just asking you as a friend to help out another friend. Matt, I'd like to do it, but I just can't. Don't you see? Yeah, it? sure, Clem. I see. Just forget it. Got to think of my wife and the two girls. Yeah, of course you have. It's not that I don't want to I help understand, with... Clem. I really do. Forget it. There. That ought to hold it a while. That fire feels kind of good, Mr. Dillon. It's getting chillish out tonight. Yeah, I guess we better have Pedro lay in some more wood. Yes, sir. When winter sets in, it always makes you feel good to know you got a warm place to hold up. Be mighty rough not to have a... Not to... Yeah, I was thinking of the same thing, Chester. You suppose they... Vacated this afternoon? I don't know. We'll ride out there in the morning and find out. Sure is a shame. It's just too bad that... Uh... Come in. Can we bother you, bother you Matt? Ed! Oh, oh well, come in. Come in, Martha. Well, hiya, Jimmy. Uh, well, uh, come on up to the stove, folks. <laughs> come on. Matt, the fact is that we... We kind of like to impose on you for tonight. We haven't got any place to go, no money. Wondered if we could sleep in the jail tonight. Oh, sure, Ed. Uh, uh, Chester, would you would you get a fire going back there? All right, Mr. Dillon. And dig up some blankets out of the storeroom, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, 
Want to come help me, Jimmy? Jimmy? <laughs> now you, you go along with Chester now, boy. Go on. All right. He, he doesn't understand all this, Matt. He... he uh, Ed, we, we may as well get your stuff out of the wagon, I guess. Well, there ain't any wagon, man. We walked into town. Six miles? With that leg? I know, but that wagon, the horses, all the household goods, they're all covered by that mortgage. We didn't take anything. Except the clothes on our backs. Oh, so help me, Ed. So help now me if I could... It's all right, Matt. We know how you feel. But after all, we... Started with nothing before. We can do it again. But there's no reason you should have to. We do have to, though. And that's that. Ed and I can accept it. We're not bitter any longer. Jimmy can't understand. He's He's been carrying on pretty bad, but he's just a boy. And in time, he'll be able Mr. to... Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? It's Jimmy. He grabbed a rifle from off the rack and took out the back way. I couldn't stop him. What? Where on earth's he going? I think I know where he's going. Heaven help Caleb Andrews if we don't catch him. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first... That widely traveled man of music, Mr. Vaughn Monroe, will land in Pottstown, Pennsylvania this Saturday night. The Moon Maids, the Moon Man, and the Monroe Ensemble will be on hand to enliven the session. Remember, tomorrow night and every Saturday evening, it's Vaughn Monroe and his musical caravan on most of these same CBS radio stations. Now, the second act of Gunsmoke. Andrew's house there on the corner. Looks dark, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, you may not be home. I sure hope he isn't. No sign of the boy around. Reckon he broke in the house, Mr. Dillon? Maybe. Any hot's ten to one, this is where he headed for. His mother said he was real upset about it, and it's just like a kid that... Chester? Hmm? There's somebody back of that tree up there on the left. Mm. Yeah. Think it's him? I don't know. Just keep on walking. Yeah, it's him, all right. I can see the moonlight on the rifle barrel. Will we try to rush him, Mr. Dillon? Not unless you're thinking of suicide. I'm going to talk to him, Chester. Jimmy? It's me, Matt Dillon. Go away, Mr. Dillon. Better go away now. Don't bother me. I can't do that, Jimmy. You're a friend of mine, and I figure you're waiting here to do something that you'd be sorry for, and I, I can't let you do that. Nothing you can do about it, Mr. Dillon. I got a gun here, and I'm going to kill him. You go away now and leave me alone. Jimmy, I know how you feel. I don't like Caleb either, but killing him's no answer. You folks feel bad enough already. Think how it would hurt him if you did Stop, didn't. Mr. Dillon. I'll stay where you are. Don't come any closer. 
I have to, Jimmy. It's my job. So if you're going through with this, I guess you'll have to kill me first. No, no, no Mr. Dillon, now stay back. I'm sorry, Jimmy. I don't have a choice. But you do. No. No. I couldn't shoot you, Mr. Dillon. You know that. Sure. I knew you couldn't. I kept waking up nights and hearing Mom crying. Dad would sit up all night without the lamp lit, no fire. Not say anything, just sitting. Easy now, Jimmy. Why is he doing it to us, Mr. Dillon? Jimmy, listen to me. Will you do something for a friend? Yeah, you say so. All right, then take that rifle back to the jail and put it in the rack. And go to bed. Now, you promise? Yeah. I promise, Mr. Dillon. I'm sorry. I'll do like you say. You're all right, Jimmy. Good night, son. I could have told you Clem Bates wouldn't do anything, Matt. He wouldn't dare. He'd be scared Caleb would take his money out of the bank. Yeah, that's about what he said. I don't know, Kitty. I've done everything I could possibly think of. Well, the of. worst of it is everybody in town's just as scared of Caleb as Clem is. I doubt if they'll even have the nerve to bid against him at the sale. Yeah, I know. He'll probably get the place at not much more than the amount of the mortgage. $420. Matt, I've seen more than that change hands across a poker table here in one deal. You think that's all it takes? I beg your pardon, Miss Kitty. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course, Jack. I'm not usually one to eavesdrop on people, but I have been listening to you, too. Uh, Jack, have you met Marshal Dillon? No, I haven't. The reason I butted in, Miss Kitty, I heard you talking about these people losing their home. I don't know, this fellow Blake, he's never done any business over my table and probably never will. No, I, I don't think he's ever been in here. And I don't know if this will make sense. But the thing is, I left home when I was ten years old and I've been drifting ever since. When I see somebody like this Blake that sticks it out and works and fights and then gets a raw deal. Well, what I'm getting at, here's $50 if that'll help money. Oh, Jack. Well, this is awful decent of you, Jack. Matt. I said a while ago that nearly everyone in town was afraid of Caleb. Yeah? Well, there's some who aren't. Like Jack here and me and the rest of the dealers and the gamblers and the, the girls and the bartenders. That's right, Miss Kitty. Because we're drifters. We got nothing to lose. Matt, I'll raise $420 right here in the Texas Trail. By heaven, Kitty, I think you could. Well, I can't do as well as Jack, but... <laughs> uh, here's... 20 for me. Boys! Everybody! Now listen to me for a minute. I got something to say. He's sure taking his time getting here, Chester. Well, I told him what you said, Mr. Dillon. Well, that ought to bring him on the run, if anything, Will. Anytime Caleb figures he's about to lose a dollar or two, it's hitting him where it hurts. The 
Blake's turned in for the night? Yeah, I guess so. It's been quiet back there for the last few. Marshal, what's this all about? Well, shut the door, Caleb. We're trying to keep it warm in here. Would you mind telling me why I've been called over here at this time of night? Yeah, sure. Here's $420. The Blakes want to pay off the mortgage. They do, do they? The court costs up to now probably run about $10. I'll pay that myself. That's mighty generous of you. Well, good night, Marshal. Is it a deal, then? I am not the least bit interested in having that mortgage paid off, Marshal Dillon. The Blake farm is worth about $2,000 now, and in five years it'll be worth three times that much. Land's going up in Ford County. That's why I'm grabbing every piece I can get. So I don't want the money. I want the farm. And when it's put up for sale, I'll get it at my own price. The foreclosure still goes. I see. Good night, gentlemen. Well, I guess that's that, Mr. Dillon. I don't know why I even thought he'd take the money. The Blakes won't get a cent out of the sale. He'll scare everybody off and bid it in a few dollars over the amount of the mortgage, and nobody in town will even try to... Even try to... Try to what, Mr. Dillon? Chester, I'm going over and wake up Clem Bates. I got an idea, and if it works, we'll hold that sale at noon tomorrow. That's pretty short notice to find an auctioneer. I don't need an auctioneer, Chester. This one I'm going to run myself. Everybody, all right. Now, all of you know what we're here for. This is a foreclosure sale of the property and household effects of Edward and Martha Blake, ordered by the court at the request of that fine-spirited, good-hearted public benefactor and friend and neighbor of us all, Caleb Andrews. Marshal Dillon, I refuse to tolerate this. Caleb, I think we better get one thing straight right now. The law tells me I gotta conduct this sale, but the law doesn't tell me what I gotta say while I'm conducting it. Get on with it. Get on with the sale. All right. Now, uh, the first item I'm offering is a breadboard. Miss Blake tells me she's used this for nearly ten years. That's a lot of loaves of bread. A lot of years. As you can see, it's pretty badly battered up. I doubt if it'd be worth much to anybody unless they were used to it. Suppose we started at 50 cents. Is there anybody here low enough to bid 50 cents for Mrs. Blake's breadboard? How about you, Caleb? I'm not interested in the item. Get on with the sale. Anybody else? No? All right, then. The second item. It's a crib. Now, you'll notice it's handmade. Rough construction. Never been painted. And it's been well used. Ed built it himself 12 years ago, just before Jimmy was born. There are teeth marks all over the slats here, but that doesn't really hurt anything. Marshal Dillon, may I suggest you lump the household effects together and offer them as one bulk item? I'm sorry, Caleb. I'd rather offer them one at a time. Yes. Unless, of course, you'd care to waive all claim to the household effects and withdraw them from the order of foreclosure. I waive the claim. The household goods are withdrawn. Now get on to the house and land. So ordered. Now, the item offered... 
is 160 acres of tillable land, a four-room house, and a barn. I won't read through the description. You all know the property. It's a good farm. The amount of the mortgage is $420. Held by Caleb Andrews. All right, the bidding's open. What am I offered? $450. I have $450 from Cable Andrews. Do I hear another bid? Oh, the farm's worth $2,000. You're going to let him have it for $450? How about another bidder? Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? Well, I've been thinking some lately of getting me a little place like this and settling down. I'll bid $1,000. I have $1,000. Do I hear another bid? It's a trick. He doesn't want this place. $1,000 going once. $1,200. Caleb Andrews bids $1,200. What do you say, Chester? Well, sir, I, I think I kind of like this farm. $1,500. This is ridiculous. The bid is $1,500 going once. Going twice. $1,600. $1,600 from Mr. Andrews. Chester? $8,420. He never had that much money in his whole life. Do I hear another bid? Oh, what do you say, Caleb? Do you think I'm a fool? Going once, going twice, sold. The Chester Proudfoot for $8,420. The buyer will come forward and complete the sale. Don't you worry none about me, Mr. Andrews. I got it right here. There, there, there's $8,000 in $500 bills, and here is the $420. Where did you ever get that much in cash? Well, I saved my pay, Mr. Andrews, and of course, I, I drink just mostly beer. It adds up after a while. Caleb, I guess $420 of this is yours. And that takes care of the money. Well, Ed, looks like you made a pretty fair profit on the place. Yeah, here's a lot the... better than I expected, Here's man. your money. Thank you, man. But I tell you, I'd still, I'd still rather have the farm than the money. Well, now, I've been sort of thinking it over, Mr. Blake. <laughs> Maybe I kind of lost my head. But when you come right down to it, I don't know what I'd ever do with a farm. So if you'd like to buy it, I'll take a $420 loss and sell it back to you for $8,000 cash. <laughs> Done. Here's your money. This is unheard of. They can't do it, Marshal. Well, as far as I know, there's no law against a man selling his own property. Now, the way I see it, Mr. Andrews, is right this minute you're a trespasser on my property. Come on, let's go. Let go. Hey, Gracie, who do you think you're landing? Chester, you better get that $8,000 back to the bank. Clem Bates is probably worrying himself into a breakdown for fear somebody will find out that he let us have it. All right, Mr. Dillon, I I'll see you in town later. Yeah. Oh, Matt, Matt, I, I don't know how we can ever thank you for what you've done. Uh, not me, Martha. Thank the bunch that work at the Texas Trail. You know, they're bums and drifters, most of them. But when Kitty told them the story, they really came through. We'll pay it back, Matt, every cent of it. And, well, that, that girl, Kitty, I, I guess I've said some hard things about her in the past, but... Matt, will you ask her to come out to dinner some afternoon? I, what? I'd like to thank her myself. <laughs> sure, Martha, I'll ask her. And I think she'll appreciate that more than you'll ever know. Thank you.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Paula Winslow, and Richard Beals, with Joe Duval, Lawrence Dobkin, and Jim Nusser. Parley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Here's a suggestion for Saturday listening. Fun for All, starring Bill Cullen and Arlene Francis, and John Reed King's great show, Give and Take. Hear them tomorrow on CBS Radio. Clancy Cassell speaking. And remember, you'll find Western adventure and music with Gene Autry Saturday evenings on the CBS Radio Network. Thank you.